Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. Happy 2019. It's a new year, and I hope you had a wonderful holiday season with your family, that you were able to spend some time with the people that you care about, uh, that you were able to close out 2018 on a strong note and get 2019 started in a good fashion as well. January, as we know, is often a good month in orthodontic practices. There's a lot of patients interested in starting braces in the new year, and it's usually a good month. I always like that, that our year usually starts off on a strong note and we're well on our way towards meeting our monthly and yearly goals. Today on the podcast, we have Paul Ganji, the CEO and founder of Reliance Orthodontics, and we're going to have a conversation about bonding in orthodontics. And this conversation actually turned out really great. I'm excited to bring it to you. There's a lot of good information here, and I think the conversation was fun and enjoyable. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Our tip of the day, and to start the new year here, is one that's been on my mind for a little bit. It is actually something that I learned from Dr. Anil Adikula. And I love this. This is just a tiny little tip, but saved me a lot of, I guess, annoyance or or headache. And it has to do with your voicemail. Maybe you've heard Dr. Anil talk about this before, but I updated my voicemail about a year ago to this, and it just makes my life so much easier. I give out my cell phone to parents and patients quite regularly. It's listed on our office voicemail. So I do get calls from patients from time to time. And my voicemail goes something along these lines. You've reached Dr. Lance Meller at Keen Orthodontic Specialists. If you need to get a hold of me, the fastest way to do it is to send me a text message at this number. If it's less urgent, feel free to leave a voicemail and I'll get back to you when I can. Simple, easy, but it's so much more convenient to interact with patients through text messages, especially since lots of times I'm getting these, I'm out with my family and uh, it's just it's just a wonderful little tip that kind of sets things off on the right foot, gives me some time to look up the patient information and get back to them in a way that kind of addresses their concerns. And sometimes it turns into a phone call and sometimes it turns into me going into the office. But I'm sure like many of you, I prefer to get a text message. So that's been a really great little tip that's helped me out a lot. A quick word from the sponsor of today's episode, and then we'll go straight into the interview with Paul Ganji. Mary's List is an orthodontist-only study club and buying group with over 100 companies and service providers, including Reliance Orthodontics, that offer their best pricing up front. Mary and her team vet companies for quality, service, and pricing so your practice can save time, energy, and money. With over 1,600 members and serving over 1,900 offices, Mary's List has the buying power to negotiate deals no individual practice is able to on many of the best quality products and services available. Their mission is to be an advocate for the orthodontist and educate their members on how to save money and be more organized in their practices. Many Mary's List members are able to lower their overhead for clinical supplies to as low as 4 to 5% of collections. This is possible because Mary's List only earns money from member dues, does not accept kickbacks from manufacturers or distributors, and passes on all savings to their members. Mary's List membership includes access to group-negotiated pricing and dedicated Mary's List reps, a getting-started guide with a 30-minute coaching call with her trainers, the study group of over a 1,000 members, a Staples Premium membership that's included for free, and ongoing support in their portal and weekly newsletter. Find out more at maryslist.com. That's M-A-R-I-S list.com. Paul Ganji is the founder, president, and owner of Reliance Orthodontic Products, Incorporated, and has had a career in the orthodontic industry that spans over three decades. 
Ganji has been directly involved with the development of orthodontic adhesives, sealants, and cements for over 34 years, including the first no-mix adhesive and many of the bonding products used in orthodontic practices every day. He has been a guest speaker and lecturer in numerous study clubs, universities, continuing education courses, and regional component meetings in the United States, Canada, Europe, and the Far East. His publications include numerous journal articles and textbook chapters. Paul, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Thank you, Dr. Miller. I really appreciate uh, this opportunity. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on for a topic that I think is extremely relevant to all of our listeners. You know, in orthodontics, this concept of of bonding, I think, is really what allows us to do what we do. And it's kind of the source of a lot of our success, but it's also the source of some of our frustration. So I'm glad we're going to have a chance to kind of dive in and talk a little bit more about this. Well, you know, it's it's uh, I've always looked at, at bonding uh, today is probably one of the most technique-sensitive procedures uh, within the orthodontic office. And a lot of the a lot of the steps, of course, are being delegated. And I think it's just very important that when you delegate, that we dele- delegate the uh, technique correctly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's hard to imagine, really, for me, uh, as someone who graduated, um, my, you know, my orthodontic residency eight or nine years ago, it's hard to imagine the profession of orthodontics without bonding. I mean, it's interesting to think that there was a time when this wasn't even part of our profession. Maybe give us a, a five-minute walkthrough of, of kind of the progression of how this kind of revolution in bonding got started and what were two or three of the major milestones that led us to where we are today. Well, you know, unfortunately, I'm going to date myself because I go way back to when there was all the uh, brackets replaced uh, using bands. The very first, of course, uh, bonding systems that that came into this country or were developed came out of Japan. Uh, Dr. Mura, uh, those are the powder liquid uh, methamethacrylate systems that were used in conjunction, of course, with uh, plastic brackets. Problem with those systems were uh, obviously, you know, strength uh, was just not there. The brackets that they were used were plastic and problems there, of course, were arch wire wire slots were being widened, tie wings were being broken. Uh, So it it made uh, trying to do any kind of movement, uh, especially any bodily movement of teeth, very, very difficult. Uh, then, of course, we made the transition or, or progression into, into the use of, uh, of metal brackets. Uh, and when we went that way, you know, the adhesives, of course, changed along with it. We went from the straight powder liquid glass ionomer cements. We went into some of the, the uh, chemical cure A and B two-paste uh, chemical cure systems, such as Concise Phase 2. Those were very, very popular systems and very, very strong systems. And then, of course, we went from there into the, into the light care systems. And, you know, the challenge with the light care systems was uh, how were we going to get a proper polymerization of the, of the paste underneath the bracket base? We do know that the light, when you cure from different angles, of course, goes through the, goes through the two structure, reflects off the two structure, et cetera. Now, the metal brackets, of course, when they first started out, it was very simple. The metal brackets, uh, the base on the metal brackets were, were perforated. So the mechanical retention uh, between the, the, the adhesive paste that was being used and the base of the bracket, of course, was very strong. Of course, the drawback to that was because the paste would come through the, the, the openings of the, of the base, uh, it was now exposed to the oral environment and it was visible. And, of course, the composite would stain over time. It was very unsightly. And then a few years after the introduction of those of the perforated base brackets, we came out with what were called the, the standard mesh base brackets. 
foil mesh brackets, foil mesh based brackets, excuse me. Those are the brackets that are really are, are, are being used currently. And, and what that was was just a, a piece of metal foil with, with a screen mesh that was brazed to it. And then the adhesive, of course, would then interlock with that screen mesh, and that's how you got the adhesion to the base of the bracket. Now, that eliminated the problem, of course, of, uh, of the discoloration of paste because the paste was no longer visible. So that's how it's kind of brought us, brought us up to where we're at today. When would you say that that, you know, the, those mesh brackets and, and kind of some of the composites, some of the technology, what, what year is that that that's really up to where we're at at this point? We're looking at probably the early 1970s was when we started to see the uh, methamethacrylate systems come into, uh, into vogue. Uh, and then we started to see the uh, two-paste systems, uh, which were really just filling materials like adaptic and concise. Those came into play uh, I would say later, later 1970s, uh, and then also at that time is was when we started to see those the foil mesh brackets uh, were in about the same the same time frame. Back in the mid 70s was when I was at Lee Pharmaceuticals. I developed uh, the idea for the first chemical cure no mix system. How that what entailed there was to uh, acid etch the enamel, of course, with phosphoric acid. And then you applied a liquid primer to the tooth surface on the bracket base. And that liquid primer was no more than a, than a catalyst for the paste. And then, of course, a bonding paste was placed on the back of the bracket, bracket placed on the tooth. By doing so, we were now sandwiching that paste between two layers of primer. And uh, that's where the polymerization occurred. Now, that eliminated the need for mixing. Uh, which, which was very popular. The only drawback to that system was that it, it did require the base of the bracket had to fit that tooth surface perfectly flush. If it did not, it was, of course, a, a weaker bond. Is that, what, is that around the time that you started Reliance Orthodontics? What's the history of your company? I started Reliance uh, actually January of 1982. So it was maybe three years, roughly three years after I had developed that product for Lee Pharmaceuticals. And, and when I started out with Reliance Orthodontic products, of course, I had two products. I had, I had the, uh, Reliabond, which was a, a no-mix chemical cure adhesive, and I had Phase 2, which was like concise. At that time, there were no light cure systems that were on the market. There were light cure systems prior to that. Of course, if, if you remember back, you may not because of your age, but uh, some of the earlier filling materials that were light cure were ultraviolet, were UV, Okay. And uh, the problem with those was obviously we had a lot of problems with eye damage from the lights. So those, those came off the market. But there was a short period of time there when uh, GAC had a product called uh, Nuvatach. And Nuvatach and Nuvaseal was a, a single paste uh, that used also a single liquid primer uh, that was light cured. But it was ultraviolet light cured. So that that hit the market there for, for a couple of years. And of course that was taken off the market about the same time all those composite filling materials were. Then they transitioned the composite filling materials that were light here into visible light. So between 440 and 480 nanometers. And that's, that's what we're using now. And of course the catalyst for that is, uh, is CQ, Campoquinone. So that's when I would say the early 1983, 84, 85, somewhere in there is when we started to see uh, more and more of the uh, single-paced light cure systems, uh, obviously visible light cure systems, 
Now, what really drove the popularity of those products? The ability of the assistant to be able to place the brackets and have the doctor come over, adjust the position, and then the assistant would sit back down and, of course, do the final uh, light curing on each bracket. Yeah, that's true. I, I actually used phase two for probably two or three years back, uh, you know, 2012, 2013 in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a great product, a two-part mix, but you had to be right there placing the brackets because that stuff was setting right away. Yes. You know, I, I think you're right that nowadays the vast majority of orthodontists are using, uh, including now us in our practice, a light-cured uh, composite. That definitely seems to be uh, the most popular. Yes, definitely, definitely. I mean, I get the question posed uh, uh, all the time. Hey, hey, what's the strongest possible bond? Is it a two-paste chemical cure? Is it a single-paste light cure? I answer that question by saying the most consistently strong bond would be a two-paste system like Concise or Phase 2. Now, why is that? Because it has fewer variables to achieve a maximum strength consistently. If you think about with a light cure system, what are the variables with a light cure system? Number one, the intensity of your curing light. Number two, how long you cure for. Number three, how close to the bracket base where the composite is, how close to the bracket base are you when you're curing? And does your light maintain its intensity as you're curing 10, 15, 20 brackets in the mouth? Because a lot of these light sources, unfortunately, the intensity will dissipate uh, the longer that you use the light. Yeah, and I think that these are, I mean, what I love about all these tips is it's kind of the stuff that you have to hear over and over, and your assistants kind of have to hear over and over. We definitely uh, take time in our practice to review these things periodically, and it's always interesting because at the beginning of the meeting, when I say, okay, we're going to talk about bonding, you know, all the assistants, you know, especially the more experienced ones, maybe kind of roll their eyes a little bit because they've heard this 10 times, but then it's funny, we're five minutes into the conversation, and we're picking up People are doing things differently. They're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I didn't think about it that way. I'll, I'll remember that next time. And there's always these little things, and there's so many moving parts that it's good to, to constantly review this stuff. Absolutely. It's like, like I said, it is a very technique-sensitive procedure. Uh, I try to stress, and Paul Jr. Uh, does too, and he lectures to the assistants especially, is that we need to do this correctly. And everybody has to be on the same page and doing everything the same way. Yes. Uh, and there's, you know, there's different things that you can put into your practice uh, to, to kind of gauge where you're at uh, as far as a failure. And, and you can kind of troubleshoot your own, your own failures uh, very simply by just recording uh, the failure site when you have a loose bond. In other words, a patient comes in with a bracket off and everything's on the back of the bracket, nothing's on the tooth, you know, classify that a one. Uh, everything's on the tooth, nothing on the bracket, call it a two. If it's half and half, call it a three. So it makes it simple. If you start to see a, a predominance of failures in the one category, you say, hey, okay, staff, we've got to sit down and go over this. You know, are, are we etching long enough? Are we rinsing, drying? Are we keeping the tooth dry when we apply the primer? Are we keeping the tooth dry before the bracket hits the tooth with paste? Are we using a self-etching primer correctly, et cetera? If it's the other, if it's a two where everything's on the on the tooth, you know, hey, we didn't get the, the, the paste into the mesh of the bracket properly. Uh, if it's a three, I've always considered that a, a patient abuse issue because that shows me you got a good bond to the bracket, good bond to the tooth, patient bit on something they weren't supposed to. Yeah, yeah. I, de- I definitely give after my assistants when I sit down and there's no composite on the tooth and I say, let's, let's look at this and think about it. But let's talk a little bit about those type one, uh, you call them type one errors. 
what are the things that we should be doing to prepare teeth to receive a bond? I know this is kind of maybe, I don't know if I'd say controversial, but there's a lot of variation, I would say, from office to office in the steps that people take uh, before they actually initiate the bonding procedure. Well, believe me, I kind of experience, uh, Lance, the same thing that you do when you sit down with a staff meeting. Because when I start out the, uh, my lectures, whether it's no matter where it is, I always start out with proper tooth preparation. Uh, because 60% of the failures in your office, we can attribute to that first section, the very beginning. And when I bring that up, they get the same reaction. The eyes start to roll. It's like, and I say, look, this is a very mundane repetitious procedure. I understand that. But if we don't do it correctly, we can be in trouble. So here's the deal. There's two ways to prepare a tooth from an acid etching standpoint, of course. One is with traditional phosphoric acid etching and the application of a bonding resin. And then the other is a self-etching primer. So we're going to talk about both just briefly. Both require a very thorough, clean surface. So Profi thoroughly, rotary instrument, uh, rubber cup or bristle brush, use a pumice that does not contain oil. A lot of the flavored pumices contain oil that can leave a film, the acid can't penetrate. So very thorough p- pumice, uh, a profi, rinse it thoroughly, dry thoroughly. If you leave it moist, when you go to apply the acid, you're going to dilute the concentration. That's going to affect the etch. Phosphoric acid etching, very simple. Just dab it on, uh, leave it on anywhere between 15 and 90 seconds. Now, I've always said in my lecture, etch for 30 seconds. And the reason why I've always said 30 seconds because we know the minimum amount of time we need to get a good deep etch is 15 seconds. Uh, If we go less than that, we're under etching. We're not getting deep enough into the enamel. So I believe that if we start out by saying, okay, you can etch for just 15 seconds, I guarantee you in a lot of offices, it's going to gravitate down to about 10 seconds after six months, and then we're going to be in trouble because we're under etching. So we need to make sure we're etching properly. So I say etch 30 seconds. That's more than enough. There is no strength advantage to etching any longer than 15 seconds. So if you etch 60 seconds, you're not getting any better bond strength than if you etch 20 or 30 seconds. So that's why I say etch 30 seconds. If it goes down to where their etching time is 25 or 20 seconds after six months, we're still in a safe zone. Now, on the flip side, you notice I said the outer, the outer parameter, the ceiling should be 90 seconds because after 90 seconds with 37% phosphoric acid, and that's what every company uses, of that 37% phosphoric acid on the enamel for more than 90 seconds, two things will happen. One, you'll start to dissolve the enamel rods, the delicate fingers the adhesive is going to grab onto. And you've now formed an insoluble calcium phosphate salt byproduct of phosphoric acid on the enamel. So we don't want to go longer than 90 seconds. And I know everybody says, well, no one etches 90 seconds anymore. Stop and think about this. What if you etch two arches simultaneously? You know, I mean, there's where we run the risk of over etching. So that's why you have to be careful there. Right. Once you've etched, rinse thoroughly. Minimum five seconds per tooth if you use a liquid etch, 10 seconds per tooth if you use a gel etch. Never take a damp cotton roller or cotton roller and wipe the acid off. That's just going to fracture the enamel rods and weaken our bond. So rinse thoroughly, dry thoroughly. You know, once you etch a tooth and rinse it, if you just hit it with a quick burst of air, it turns dull chalky white. That to me is the old wives tale. I hear that all the time. Oh, I know we got a good air surface to bond to. It was dull chalky white. That does not give you, that visible indication does not tell you you have a good surface to bond to. 
The only thing that would tell you that is did you follow all the steps leading up to that point? So in other words, etch properly, rinse properly, dry thoroughly because if you don't dry thoroughly, you're not going to get all the moisture out of the very base of the enamel rods. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that that next step, which is our bonding resin, penetrates deep into the enamel because deeper into the enamel is going to produce a stronger bond. So that's why you want to make sure you really desiccate the enamel before you go to that next step. Now, next would be apply your bonding resin. Put that on, whatever it is. It could be, you know, a Sure Plus, a Solo, whatever it might be. Next step, of course, is place your bracket. But the important thing is you always want to keep in mind that you want the interface between that primer or bonding resin that's on the tooth and the paste on the back of your bracket to be chemically clean. In other words, no condensation, no contamination. So what does that mean? That means in that office where the assistant may have prepared all the teeth, applied the Assure Plus, dried it, waited, and the doctor comes over and places the brackets, and there's been a delay, if we think we have the possibility that there could be a delay, especially in the posterior section, premolars and molars, my suggestion is take a little more of the Assure because it's hydrophilic, dab it on those teeth and dry it before you place those brackets to guarantee that you have a chemically clean interface between the paste on your bracket and the tooth surface. Remember this point. Once you put that primer on, doesn't matter if it's, if it's a Reliance primer or 3M or, or Ormco, anybody. Once you put that primer on, the tooth looks shiny. And you can't tell what's, <laughs> what it is. Is that shiny condensation or is it contamination? Yeah. So that's that. Now, let's talk about self-etching primers. As we know, self-etching primers are a combination of the acid etching and the primer and the bonding resin all in one step. So you're instructed to profit the tooth, rinse, and dry. And then what you do is you're mixing two liquids together. So what are you doing? Whether it's an L-pop or, or the SCP from Reliance, what you're mixing together is you're mixing a, an, an acidic monomer and water. And what happens here is the water activates the acid. Now it's an active etching solution. So you're instructed to go to the tooth and scrub for five seconds. Now that's totally different than what you would do with phosphoric acid. But remember this, with a self-etching primer, we are not rinsing and removing those demineralized particles from around the enamel rods. What we're doing is we're going down into the enamel and incorporating all this together. So our self-etching primer is going to become a bonding resin. It's almost like we're, we're forming like wet concrete here. So you're instructed to scrub, and you scrub five seconds. And when you do, you liquefy the calcium in the enamel. That neutralizes the acid. Now that flips over and becomes your bonding resin. But after you scrub, you're told to either shoot a burst of air at that tooth or dry two to three seconds. I like to see you dry two to three seconds. Why? Because when you're done scrubbing, What's left behind on that tooth is water-based. There's where your biggest variable is with a self-etching primer. Because of that, if you don't remove that water-based solvent or displace it away from where you place the bracket, you're going to have a, either a weak bond or a failure when you place your bracket. So that's why you have to be careful. I know there's office, I know there's been some suggestion by some companies to etch first with phosphoric acid, and then use a self-etching primer. If you are going to do that, that is, a, in my mind, a tremendous waste of money, a tremendous <laughs> waste of time, because you're making that self-etching primer a very, very expensive primer. Yeah. You would do yourself a better service 
You'd save time, money, and get a better bond strength. If you're going to etch with phosphoric acid, go right to something like a SurePlus. Yeah. And anecdotally, I don't know if this is actually validated, but I do know that people who have done phosphoric acid etch plus self-etching primer seem to report uh, more decalcification. And again, that's, I don't know that there's a study that shows that, but I, I've heard that from several people as well. Yes. Yes, we have two. We have two, definitely. Yeah. So when we when we go to cure uh, with a curing light, how do we evaluate a light? Uh, do you have any ones that you recommend? That's always a hot topic for orthodontists. Well, you know, there's there's so many of these lights out there, uh, you know, and they're coming from all over the world, uh, and that's the issue. So first and foremost, get yourself a digital radiometer and get a good one. Uh, Vivadent makes a good one. Demetron, those two. Those two companies are terrific light manufacturers and their, their, their products are excellent. So Vivadent or Demetron, you can get us through a mail order house, get a digital radiometer that is LED specific. And then now you can do your own evaluation of these curing lights uh, and determine which ones you want to buy. And the best way to evaluate a light is this. I want you to turn the light on and when it's cold, put it right on that digital radiometer and get a reading. Let's say the reading is 1,000. And then I want you to cycle that light like you're going to cure a whole arch of brackets. And then after you've done that, put it back on the radiometer and see what the intensity is. Now, if that intensity goes down by more than 10%, you don't want that light. And I'll tell you why you don't want the light. Because it means that as the intensity dissipates, you're going to have to cure longer per bracket the more brackets you cure with that light. Second thing that you would check for is after you've cycled that light, to cure, say, the whole arch of brackets. See if the handle heats up or if, more importantly, the light director. Because a lot of these lights, the light director heats up to the point where you can, bo- you can definitely burn soft tissue. Yeah. I bought some, uh, perhaps, <laughs> I don't know where they came from, lights. Yep. Uh, and I got them and I unpacked them. And uh, they were, they were the light director, the tip was incredibly hot. And we never ended up using them on patients because we thought this is ridiculous. No, exactly. Exactly. No question. No question. Uh, the, the other thing is, though, as far as what other type of lights. Now, let's talk about the formula. So you, you've done the test and you're showing your light is a thousand milliwatts. And that's very low in, in, in today's uh, cycle of lights. Uh, that's a pretty low intensity. But let's say it's a thousand. There's a formula that you have to use to determine how long you have to cure per bracket with each specific light. So in other words, you need 10,000 millijoules of energy to get maximum polymerization of that bonding paste under your bracket. And the way you get to that 10,000 number is intensity of your light times how long you cure for has to equal 10,000. So my light shows it's 1,000 milliwatts of intensity. I divide 1,000 into 10,000, I get a second number of 10. That means with that light, I have to cure 10 seconds per bracket to get maximum bond strength. Okay, that's fine. Now, that's why it proves out that let's say our light that we tested was 1,000 when it was cold, but 500 after you cured, say, five brackets, and you were still curing 10 seconds the whole time when we should have been curing 20 seconds. Right. So that's why it makes that. Now, one other point to remember, the fastest that you can cure an orthodontic adhesive to get maximum bond strength is six seconds. You'll be told by some companies, I've got a curing light. You can cure your brackets in three seconds. You can cure them in three seconds, correct, but you're not going to get maximum strength. Now, why is that? It's because as manufacturers, 
we can only put so much catalyst into the paste. If we put any more catalyst into the paste, it'll be so sensitive to ambient light, you'll never be able to get it out of the syringe without it setting. So the fastest that a limited amount of catalyst can absorb those photons that are coming out of the light is six seconds, no matter how intense the light is. So now that brings me to the next stage. What should be the maximum intensity? If you have a light that's 3,000 milliwatts, to me, that's a waste. It's just going to build up more heat. You're going to break the light down quicker. You're going to have a tendency to, to light up the, uh, you're going to heat up the light director. So I think the threshold should be about 2,000 milliwatts. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's good advice. And I, and I do think that I love the idea of having the tester in your office. And that's something that we've incorporated and that we, we do it periodically when the office is slow. I, I actually, for some reason, usually the one that does it. And I go around when you know, I don't have anything to do and I'm, I'm testing these lights, but it's easily something that can be delegated. Sure. And, and it gives you good information. And I mean, I think our lights are, you know, like 1500 ish. Right. You know, and all my assistants know it's, 10,000 divided by 1,500, and so we're looking at, you know, six, seven seconds uh, per tooth, and and that gives us, you know, some real concrete information instead of just just kind of hoping and guessing. Right, exactly, exactly. As far as what lights are good, you know, like I say, if you stay in a Vivadent, Demetron family, you know, I'm not, I looked at a light the other day, a a, a light that somebody had from China was $25, and I couldn't believe it, and I tested it, and it was like, 1500 milliwatts. I ran the test on it. I cycled it for say, you know, I cycled it for two minutes. It didn't really heat up significantly. Now, how long is that light going to last you? It might last you a year. It might not. But, you know, before I was, was saying, hey, stay away from some of the off-brand lights that are coming from overseas. If you have a digital radiometer, like I said, you can do your own testing and you can kind of decide which lights you want to buy. Yeah, I think if you can find those inexpensive ones that have a good output and maintain their output and don't get too hot, I, I think that uh, it seems to me that within a few more years, those things are going to probably start taking over more of the market. No question. I agree. Here's another question that I'm sure you must get uh, or, or maybe <laughs> comment that people make to you, which is that people say, oh, you know, I, I switched from one bracket to another and my bond failure either, you know, went way up or way down and people are convinced that, you know, certain brackets have a, a much better bond strength, the, 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 the mesh or the quality of the mesh or maybe it was pre-sandblasted. Is there something to that or are all modern brackets fairly comparable in that regard? You know, what, what about brackets themselves in the bonding process? Well, you know, it's, it's funny, I've, I've had the opportunity to consult with a lot of the companies. They've asked my opinion on brackets and, and et cetera. And I've told them, I said, look, don't overthink the underside of the bracket. Worry about selling the other side of the bracket, the tie wing side, that area, which I know nothing about. And you people are experts on, obviously that's the most critical part of it. That's what's moving the teeth, et cetera. But don't go overthinking or trying to get a huge advantage on the underside. Bottom line is this to me, if it's, if it's a mesh bracket, a foil mesh bracket, 80 gauge mesh is the best. It's the easiest to get the paste into the undercuts of the mesh, uh, number one. Number two, if you go with a photo etch bracket, take a look at the design of the bracket. Take a look at, take a look at it. See what, what it looks like, what the configuration is. If it's, if it's hooks uh, or whatever, you got to think, okay, the paste is going to go, go in there and it's going to get under that hook. So what angle should I be curing longer from? Should it be more from the incisal and gingival or should it be more mesial distal? How, how should it be? You know, look at it that way. But 
it still comes down to this, and I've always said this, that pretty much with regardless of the bracket design, the base design of the under, uh, underside of the bracket, is that I've instructed everybody to say, take the paste, put the paste on the back of the bracket out of a syringe. Take another instrument, like the flathead of a toothpick or a small plastic instrument, push the paste down into the base and across, like you're going from the mesial distal, like you're wiping excess butter off of bread, to get it into those undercuts of that mesh or into the undercuts of that, of that photo etch base. When you do that, you're going to wipe most of the paste off the top of the mesh, and you're going to have it on your instrument. Well, that's fine. Go back, take that, smear it across the base, covering the mesh, then put the bracket on, position it, and press on it. What we don't want to do is put the paste on out of a syringe and try to manipulate it into the base. That's difficult to do to get good mechanical retention. And the thing we never want to do is take an instrument or our naked or glove finger and push the paste in, like pat it in. I, we hear that comment. Oh, I padded it in. <laughs> yep. If you pat it in, you're pushing it in and pulling it back out again. Yeah. So we're not accomplishing what we, what we have to do. You need to go against the grain, get it into the undercuts. That, to me, is, is going to, I think, eliminate failure between the paste and the back of the bracket. Another point is this, and that is if you could sandblast the bracket bases, they're 33% stronger between the composite and the base of the bracket if it's been sandblasted as opposed to one that has not been sandblasted. Interesting. That's good to know. I think that you're right that, you know, the technique of applying the heat adhesive is probably the biggest thing because I hear from people, you know, I switched to company X and my, my bracket failure went way down. And then another person tells me, oh, I switched to company X and it went way up. And, and so I think, I think that the way in which we or our assistants are applying that composite and really getting it in there, I think, uh, that's one that's hard to get the assistants to do. I know this from my own office and other offices, but if you can get the assistants, if they're the ones that are applying it to the pad or the base of the bracket, that's an area where I think you can get a lot of improvements and, and eliminate most of those type two errors. Absolutely, correct. So this is all great information, Paul. Tell us a little bit about, you know, I know this is kind of a, a rabbit hole. We maybe don't want to go too far down, but briefly, um, you know, what should we be thinking about in terms of bonding to crowns? Now we've got all these, you know, zirconia crowns and, and sometimes I just band them or, or if it's like an Invisalign case, I don't even put an attachment on that tooth because I'm scared to bond to it. What's, what's kind of the, the way that we should be thinking about uh, these restor- restorative materials and prosthetic materials in terms of bonding? Yeah, you know, that's, this has taken up, this has been a really, a real roller coaster because we go way, way back. I go back with a product that we came out with, oh, I would, I would have to say it's close to 30 years ago called Enhance, uh, which gave the orthodontist the ability to bond to metal surfaces like a stainless steel crown, uh, amalgam restoration, et cetera. Also to bond to a composite restoration and instead of using plastic conditioner, all those, all those situations. And then, that had to be used in conjunction with another primer. You would roughen the surface, put the, like the enhance on, and you would put the, another primer on top and bracket with paste. We then gravitated and went into to the, the next generation of primers, which incorporated all those materials together. So you had your, your adhesion booster chemicals mixed in with your bonding resin, and that's when we get into the products like Assure. And then now we've gone even further with like a sure plus to take the next step up to be able to reduce the amount of materials that you need in your office in order to bond to all these different services. So let's take, for example, let's start with the worst. Let's start with porcelain and zirconia. Well, when porcelain first came on the market, it was how did you bond to it? Well, we had to use silane. 
So we would lightly rough and we would use silane as a, a coupling agent. Uh, then we would go ahead and we, and we would use our, our regular bonding material uh, on top. So, and, and, and the bond strengths were, were adequate, more than adequate. Well, what happened was that uh, porcelain manufacturers started to take glass out of the porcelain and replace it with other materials such as aluminum oxide. It made it more difficult to bond to it. So now we had to get a, a more tenacious bond to the glass that was in the porcelain. And we did that uh, using hydrofluoric acid to etch the glass. So then we used hydrofluoric acid. Then we had to use silane, porcelain conditioner. Then we had to use another bonding resin on top of it. And it was a lengthy procedure, et cetera. And of course, hydrofluoric acid, we don't want to, you know, you really don't want to mess with that material. You don't want to get that obviously on soft tissue or especially on someone's cheek because that definitely will burn and can scar. So you have to be careful with that material. So then now where it's come to, it's come full circle really because it's gotten to the point now where you have a product like a Sure Plus. And a Sure Plus has chemicals in it now that will allow you to bond to every single surface in the mouth without using any additional primers, except porcelain and zirconia. And porcelain and zirconia, with that product, you're going to have to use, still use silane. So your technique would be sandblast. And I'm a big proponent of sandblasting on non-enamel surfaces. And why is that? Two reasons. One, it gives us a better mechanical bond. And I can show that under a scanning electron micrograph where you can see it's a lot more mechanically retentive surface, whether it's metal, acrylic, porcelain, or zirconia that's been sandblasted as opposed to one that's been roughened with a burr. So we're going to get a, a stronger bond as opposed to using roughening with a burr. Second reason we sand, we would sandblast, uh, and when we sandblast microwetch, you're using aluminum oxide particles to bombard the surface, and those are always 50 micron in size. Don't use 90. 90 or 100 is in the lab. 50s in the mouth. But when we do that, it makes it a lot easier at the end of treatment when you've taken the bracket off to put a nice shine back on that porcelain or zirconia surface or, or acrylic surface. As opposed to if you've roughened it with a burr, a lot of times you're going to leave craze marks. And those craze marks are going to be visible under a dental loop. So they go back to the general dentist, they're going to see the craze marks. So we want to avoid that. So right now, sandblast, rinse and dry, a coat of silane, porcelain conditioner. Paint that on and leave it on about two, three, four minutes, at least two minutes, but I would say three to four ideally. Now, why so long? The process there is called dwelling, and it's the reaction between the, the silane and the silica that's in the porcelain, and you need a time to work adequately. So then after three minutes, I want you to dry it for 30 seconds. Now, you're going you're gonna to be drying this surface and saying, well, why am I drying it so long? It looks dry already. It's crazy. But what it is, is you've now formed a microscopic H2O layer. We need to evaporate that. So you dry it thoroughly, 30 seconds. Then you put a Sure Plus, you dry that, you like cure it, you put your bracket on and away you go. So we've eliminated hydrofluoric acid and we've really reduced the amount of materials we need. Now, what if it's a zirconia crown? Then you pray. Then you pray. <laughs> Thank you. Very First good. step, well, prayer. Last step, prayer. Absolutely. We did that. Definitely. We did that. So, with zirconia, when it first came out, it was not glazed. So it was simple. You could sandblast and use a Sure Plus by itself, dry and like here. No problem. Well, then what happened is you started to see products like Z-Max, which is an anterior zirconia crown, and very aesthetic, very strong, etc. But what they're doing is the uh, coping is uh, zirconia, but the facing is silica. So now that brings us back to, wait a minute, 
how do I handle that? You handle that like it's a porcelain crown. Sandblast, porcelain conditioner, wait three minutes, dry 30 seconds, a sure plus dry like here. What if it happens to be one that is not glazed? <laughs> so it is not silica. And you put porcelain conditioner down and do that step and then a sure plus, are you going to weaken the bond? No. We did extensive testing. No. So we've taken the guesswork out of this. Very simple. If you think it's porcelain or zirconia, that's how you handle it. Every other non-enamel surface, all you're going to do is sandblast, a sure plus, dry, and light cure, and you're done. Put your bracket on. Now, composite restoration, do you have to sandblast? No. Roughing with a fine diamond is perfect. You don't have to do that. Metal, you got to sandblast, I believe. Because if you don't sandblast metal, you're going to start out at 50% strength at best. Whereas if you sandblast, I can get you enough strength to be able to get to hold buckle tubes on and on molars without a problem. That's, that's, you know, those are the challenging ones for sure. And, and I think that's great information. I love that the technology has, has advanced a little bit to help us out there uh, because, you know, we, with these newer materials, it's definitely making it a little bit more challenging on the restorative side. Um, I want to make one point, I guess, on this topic, you know, to our listeners, which is, I think as orthodontists, you know, we are always trying to be efficient and it's always difficult for us when a patient comes in at three o'clock or three thirty in the afternoon and has a bracket off. And I've been in offices and uh, maybe even in our office, you know, five or 10 years ago where a bracket being off seems to be a, a big deal. It's a big production. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, maybe making the patient feel bad or making the parent feel bad. There's a lot of kind of sighing or, or complaining on the part of the assistant. Uh, you know, the materials aren't readily available. So there's this kind of whole, you know, rigmarole of getting out all of the equipment and bringing it to the chair. And it really seems to be this, this uh, big production. And, and one of my kind of pet peeves or, or pet theories rather in orthodontics is that, you know, I think we have to be set up to be bonding brackets all the time. And we can't let this be a frustrating thing. Certainly, we're going to do everything we can to reduce our bond failure. And I think Paul has given us just tons of great information on how to do that. But at the end of the day, we have to be ready to do this. We can't let this stress. I mean, if a broken bracket is enough to stress us out, we're in the wrong profession because we're going to have broken brackets all the time. So my mantra, and, and my assistants know this, is we yawn and rebond. In other words, we don't let it phase us. We, it's yep. just part of our day. Uh, we have all of the equipment ready to go, set up. We know that we're going to have broken brackets, so we have everything already laid out for it. It doesn't slow us down. We don't add extra time. We don't reappoint the patient. You know, we just take care of it and get it done. Now, if they had 10 brackets off, that might be a different story, but one or two or three, I feel like, I feel like we've got to get that done. And, And so I think, you know, sometimes that's just a mindset thing. And I think we've got to be always ready to do this. And and I think we can, we just have to, we just have to think a couple steps ahead. I think we can simplify this. Because you know what? The last thing you want to do is drag out a cheek retractor. Let's get at the etching agent. Let's, you know what? Get a self-etching primer. You know, use an LPOP or a SCP Reliance, whatever. Go in there and in, instead of scrubbing five seconds, go eight to 10 seconds. Scrub eight to 10 seconds. You don't have to isolate. Just scrub eight to 10 seconds. Dry it thoroughly. Put a coat of Assure or Sure Plus on solo, whatever. Dry it and then put the bracket back on. And I think we're, you know, by doing that, we're going to simplify the procedure. We're going to speed the procedure up and we're going to get a good enough bond to go ahead and finish that case. Yep. 
Yep, and, and we just have to be ready to do that and, and, and to make it happen at a moment's notice because it's going to happen every day. Exactly. If you're frustrated by things that happen every day, then I think the problem is more with you than, than with the, <laughs> the patient. So. Very true, very true. Well, Paul, this has been fantastic. I want to end maybe on a slightly different note. Sure. Uh, before we sign off here, and, and it's this, you know, I know that you run a very successful business. You've got a number of employees, and I know that you deal with a lot of the same challenges that owner orthodontists face, including, you know, hiring, training, leadership, all of those sorts of things. What advice would you have for someone, you know, looking to run a successful business in terms of how they treat their employees, in terms of how they treat their customers, or in our case, patients? You know, what lessons have you learned in business over these uh, decades of experience? Great question, boy, I'll tell you. And I, you know, I, I, I was taught by my parents when I was very young is, is uh, you want to be like a mirror. You want to, you want to treat people the way that you would want to be treated. Uh, and I think that that's very important. We here at Reliance, I think our average tenure of employment here is 16 years. Uh, the people come here, they stay. And, and we try to select people uh, that have that same type of an attitude, that have that, that passion for what they're doing, that they, they enjoy what they're doing, and, and they're happy in what they're doing. Because I think that's, you know, that passion, that enthusiasm, Lance, you know that as well as I do, that's contagious. So in other words, you know, in your case, having assistance that have that passion for what they're doing and, and enjoying what they're doing and enjoying themselves, their life, et cetera. By having that, that goes to the patient. The patient sees that. It's a great environment, a great atmosphere. We try to have the same thing here. Is the, the people here to be happy. Uh, we try to, to treat our people here the same way we would. We would want to be treated ourselves. I think that to me right now, there's no question the most important part of any business is people and communication. Uh, and being able to communicate, you know, obviously to me is, is the most important thing to run a successful business today. You know, and I think you've been a great example to me in that regard. I can recall, you know, a year or two ago calling uh, Reliance and with a technical question and uh, you came right on the line. President, all, all of a sudden I'm talking now with the president of the company <laughs> and you're walking me through a procedure. And I'm thinking to myself, he has to have explained this like, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of times, but you were so patient and you kind of walked me through it and you told me how to do it. And like I say, here I am talking with the president of the company and I got off the phone and I went back out in the clinic and I thought, Maybe I can do a better job of, of saying, you know, how many times have I had to talk about how to wear this retainer or why you have to wear this retainer or encouraging someone to wear their elastic rubber bands. I mean, it's, it's something I've done thousands of times, but I think you're right. If we can focus on the people, if we can improve our communication, if we can kind of give them that personal attention, you know, that's really what's going to lead to success. And I think, like I say, you've, you've been an example to me in that regard. Well, you know, I'll tell you something, one final thing too. I've been very fortunate that I am uh, uh, in, in, the best profession, period. You know, dealing with orthodontists on a daily basis is, I've had reliance now 38, 39 years. I've, I haven't worked a day in the last 38, 39 years because people like yourself, the assistants, everybody, it's fun to work with. So I don't work each day. It's fun. I enjoy it. The orthodontists are wonderful people to deal with. And, and I know that you're, for the most part, each, each person in your profession is very happy too because of, you know, you're dealing with a lot of, you know, young adults, et cetera. You know, they want to come see you. They're happy when they leave. As an orthodontist, you've not just straightened teeth. You've instilled confidence. You've changed people for the betterment of their lives for the rest of their lives to, to go on and do things that they may not have had the confidence to do before because they were afraid to smile because they were afraid of the way their teeth look. So 
you've made a tremendous contribution from that standpoint. And, and for me, it's just, it's just fun to go along for the ride. Awesome. Paul, if people want to get a hold of you, if they have any follow-up questions or want to learn more about Reliance Orthodontics, what's the best way to, to get a hold of you? Okay, a couple different ways. You can always call my cell. My cell phone is 630-546-4477. If you don't get me right away, if you need a question immediately, Paul Jr. is as good, if not better than I am. I, at this point, I can tell you that. 630 for him, 630-546-4478. Or you can email me if you don't have the time you know, for a call back and forth. Uh, you can email me at any time, and it's at Paul G. R for Reliance, O-P-I at AOL.com. Once again, Paul G, R-O-P-I at AOL.com. Thank you so much, Paul, for taking a little bit of time out of your day to share this uh, with our listeners. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, thanks again. Thank you for the opportunity, and you have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.